Now, we uh, started this sermon series on following Jesus with all kinds of feelings. And we've talked about guilt. We've talked about shame. We've talked about anger. Last week, we grieved together. Uh, and today, we come to a famous sermon by Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, where he addresses anxiety. Anxiety. And we're going to ask the question, how do I fall asleep? So if you can give your full attention to the, to the reading of God's word, let's turn to the gospel of Matthew chapter 6. Okay, Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 25 to 34. I'll read this for us. This is Jesus who taught. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is God's very words to us. Uh, this morning, I'm going to start with the solution. Okay, I'm just going to get right to the solution, and we're going to begin with that. Jesus offers to remove all anxiety from your life by removing you from the center of life. Okay, that's the solution. If there's any anxious, restless folk like me who have trouble sleeping because you're anxious and you're the worry type, here's Jesus' solution. He will take out anxiety if he takes you out from the center place of life. You see, if you think that Jesus is this great man, a historical figure who came down to teach you things, inspire, make you cry, teach you how to raise better children, be a better spouse, live a happier, freer, healthier life, although Jesus does do all that. But if you just assume that Jesus teaches you how to go do that, you're sorely mistaken because Jesus did not come to do primarily that. He did not come to help you run your life. He came to actually run your life himself. He came to become central. He came to take over all the controls. He came to take over control. And all the ills and all the ailments and all the sufferings that we go through, my friend, it's not reductionistic. It's not simplistic. It's scriptural. Anxiety rages 
as long as you try to run your life from the center point. Colossians chapter 1 tells us literally everything in the cosmos. We're not even talking about human beings. We're talking about space and all of geology and all of natural science and physics and just everything, mathematics. All of it will fall back into place and it will flourish and function perfectly as it was created to be if and when Jesus Christ becomes central. That's where the whole universe, imagine what he could do with your little life. So we're going to start with the solution. If you ache, and if you really want to be set free from anxiety, please don't ask Jesus, just take that from me. Just take out anxiety. Now, what Jesus is going to have to take out, he's going to have to take you out from the center of life. Got three dimensions to this, three dimensions to this. As we talk about, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. Jesus is saying, don't have an unhealthy hyper-anxiety, but there is such a thing as healthy anxiety. So I just want to quickly differentiate that. Not all anxiety is evil or wrong or not from God. No, there's healthy anxiety, and then there's hyper-anxiety. Healthy anxiety, of course. You have a test tomorrow. You have a big work interview tomorrow. You've got a big project. You have to perform. You have a concert. or have a huge presentation. Please, I hope we're all old enough to know that tonight what you should not do is just go home, do no preparation, no study, no work, no practice, and just lay on your bed and just start praying, Lord God, I know you're sovereign. I know you're Jehovah Jireh. I know your Hosanna and all kinds of jargon just comes out. Your vocabulary expands and you use language that you never use because what you're doing is saying, well, I believe in the sovereignty of God and God's going to take care of it all so I never have to actually stress or prepare. That is not biblical. That's not Reformed theology. That's actually lame and passive and pagan. That's called fatalism. Fatalism is the belief that God is utterly in control and sovereign, but your choices and your responsibilities do not matter one whit. That's fatalism. That's not biblical. Apostle Paul, however, he even talks about that he himself had some anxiety. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 28, he says, I always carry around this kind of weight or dosage of anxiety. He uses the word, I'm anxious. Apostle Paul was anxious all the time for the welfare of all the churches. The welfare of all the churches. When you really get to know missionaries like Brian and Angela or any pastor who's been in the game for a long time, ask them, ask them, even if you take a vacation or sabbatical, do you ever feel like you're totally on vacation or free? Anyone who's been in it deep and long enough, if they're honest, they'll say, I never really feel totally free. They feel some kind of weightiness. And that is a healthy dosage of you care about it. You're concerned about people. You pray for them. You can't forget about them. Your life and your blood and your soul somehow is intertwined with the body of Jesus Christ. And as they go, so you go. So there's a healthy dosage of anxiety. Our nervous systems, where it kicks in adrenaline, and you get hyper alert and focused, and maybe you may even get some extra measure of strength and power. If there's a truck coming down the street about to hit you, 
If there's some kind of trauma or trouble that you sense with Spider-Man senses, this is normal. This is good. This is how your bodies have been wired to fend off dangers and tragedies. But healthy anxiety can become hyper-anxiety. A healthy nervous system, which is on high alert, can just stay that way. So when tragedies or threats come to you or your family, your body tenses up, you get revved up, adrenaline is just pumping. But if you live the rest of your life constantly in that condition, you live the rest of your life constantly on hyper alert, and you're always thinking about every potential danger that could happen, any kind of fallout, relational, financial, marital, spiritual, your children, in traffic, your health, losing loved ones. If you're constantly hyper-anxious, we would say, and Jesus would say, this is the stuff that'll beat you down. And you're going to lose sleep and you can't fall asleep. Pastor Tim Keller talks about this kind of neurotic anxiety. The way he described it is, you have the Jaws movie theme, that bass line constantly playing in your life. And it's neurotic. You're like constantly looking for the fin. You're constantly on the lookout for when is the shark going to come and bite you. And that obsessive neurotic type of hyper anxiety is the very thing that Jesus is trying to remove. So let me get, let me just cut to the, to the conclusion, to the end. What was the last verse after Jesus preached on don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious? By the way, he doesn't just tell you don't be anxious. He gives you reasons why you shouldn't be anxious. But how does he conclude it? What's his summary? I'm going to tell you the last verse I think is like his summary. Here's what he says. Don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow is going to take care of itself. Today you've got enough anxieties and troubles to take care of right now. Here's what Jesus is saying. I think this is what Jesus is saying. Anxiety comes from always worrying about potentials, not actuals. Hyper-anxiety comes from worrying about things you possibly cannot control anyway. Hyper-anxiety or stress that will beat you down is worrying about tomorrow when it's today. And you do know there is nothing you can do about tomorrow, today, by worrying about it that will make it better or worse. Jesus is diagnosing it at the final verse of his sermon that the essence of anxiety is actually trying to control things in which there is no possibility to control. And as long as you and I continue to try to control things you cannot control, anxiety will rage and it will continue to grow. Healthy anxiety, hyper-anxiety. Here's a second dimension I want to look at. I just want to break down a, uh, give you an anatomy of anxiety. Anatomy of anxiety. I'm going to put it this way. At root, anxiety comes from assuming the wrong job description for your life. At root. Anxiety rages from the soil in which you and I have misassumed and are constantly trying to take over a job description that does not fit you. You know, this church has grown and evolved and changed and adjusted. I feel like we're in constant adjustment and change. But God is always the same and Jesus is faithful and true. Thank God. 
But we used to have like two or three staff. Now we're getting into the 20s. Full, full time, half time, part time. Faithful people who've come and gone and have built the church without whom the church could never be the way it is today. But in a multi-staff or in a multi-person type of organization, everyone has a distinct, specific, pretty different job description. And I know that a lot of my friends who are in staff at other churches or this church, if you're in the wrong job with the wrong job description, there's just no way. You're just going to have anxiety kind of eat you alive. In our own chief of staff, Young Park, I asked for his permission to share this, when he was serving at a larger church down in Orange County, did you know that he once held the job as being the director of creative arts or creative operations? What that means was every Sunday production, anything to do with worship, he was in charge of it. And so he had to have interface time with professional dancers and professional musicians. He actually had to handle $30,000 value lighting set design. He had to deal with lighting. Oh, we, you know that college and seminary prepares you for all this, right? He also had to go around with constant kind of fragile feedback back and forth with aesthetic, musical, kind of moody types. And then his actual pastor, he said on a regular basis, would come around, put his arm around him, and warmly try to encourage and inspire him. But he would lay on the pressure so thick. Here's what Young would be told on a regular basis by his pastor. The pastor would say, Young, this Sunday, we got to hit a home run. It was never a single. It was never a double. It was always young. We always got to hit a home run. And you know what Young shared about that experience? He lost hair. His eyes started to twitch. He'd break out in cold sweat. He was anxious all the time. He was jittery. And it was so sad, he wanted to go check out a doctor, but he didn't have medical insurance either. <laughs> Do you know, in essence, and here's the painful reality, anxiety comes from all of us here trying to assume God's job description. You and I are constantly assuming we're competent enough that we are smart enough to handle life from the center position. And as long as you and I do that, you're never going to have anxiety diminish. Oh, read verse 27. Read it with me. Pay attention to every word Jesus told us. He says, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Jesus is saying, But I know you guys think you can add. You actually think you have the powers to make your life longer. You actually think that all that worrying, all that planning, all that strategizing, all that staying up at night and losing sleep is somehow going to expand and make your life longer? Obviously, this is a rhetorical question. Jesus is coming back and saying, no, you really don't have control over that. None. And yet we continue to think we do. My wife, Sunny, went through a major, major surgery on August 10th. As a hysterectomy, she had her uterus removed. Took her two months for her to come back to 100%. She just started going back to work. Thank the Lord. She's happy at work. She says, Harold, it's really hard to be at home with you all the time, so work is better. <laughs> Thank you for all your prayers. 
And it was a longer, more complicated thing than we could have both imagined. But thank God for the restoration of the body, and she feels better. We had so many hospital visits during this time. On Thursday night, my youngest daughter, Elizabeth, had trouble breathing, and she felt like her left side was going numb, and she was dry heaving and almost hyperventilating. It really kind of freaked me out, so I took her over to the emergency room on Thursday night. And of course, ER took about four hours. We came back at about 3.30, 4 a.m. Everything checked out. She's okay. We're still trying to figure out what happened there. But you know, in all of these hospital visits, I still, it's gone down a lot, I still have some measure of fear and anxiety. It's trauma for me, where a doctor could come into the room and say, Harold, I'm so sorry to tell you this, but your wife or your daughter, oh, we found this. Do you know what anxiety tells me? Do you know why I still have some anxiety? And let me sometimes just give you the truth, unfiltered, like just naked truth. And it might land with blunt force trauma. Okay, are you ready for it? According to Jesus, and according to diagnosing my anxious-ridden heart, the reason why I still have anxiety is because I still think I have some control as to what the doctor is going to come in and tell me. Deep down in my heart, I still think I have control over the life of my wife, my daughters, my best friends, and his beloved church here at CCSC. Jesus comes back around and he says, and he preaches to us, Harold, do you have any control of whether you live an hour longer or less? Do you have any control that your heart pumps throughout the night and you continue to breathe while you're unconscious? Have any of you had control that you're protected from that DUI driver the other day? Did you really have control that from that severe illness, your body actually did recover? How many of you here have control even over the mundane, menial, trivial seeming things like you get food, your body operates well, you are clothed, and all of life, Jesus is preaching to us, do you really think you've ever really had control? Now, here's what anxiety does. Listen to me close. Listen to me close. Anxiety does not reveal anything profound or new about reality. Anxiety just exposes the spell you are under. Anxiety doesn't show you anything new about reality that you've never really been under control, but it does tell you that you still think you do. Notice how Jesus doesn't just say one or two verses, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, just stop. What's wrong with you? Or else the sermon would have ended. Jesus goes on and takes the time to do surgery work where he removes you and I from center place, so that is the only way in which he removes anxiety. You know, in Adam and Eve, who are prototypes of us, and this old Tears for Fear song in the 1980s blares through my head as I was thinking about this part. Everybody wants to rule the world. Everybody wants to rule the world. Well, at least your own little world. But when we do, we lose. When we try to become more than a human creature, we become less. When you vie and fight for more control, you lose control. When you want to gain more power, you become more of a slave. 
To get to the tip top, the tip top, which is God's own role in his job description, we fell. Hyper unhealthy anxiety is the alarm bell to our system that for too long and too hard, you and I have been trying to be someone you could never be. So Martin Luther, that great reformer, the German theologian, had a really good friend by the name of Philip Melanchthon. And one day he noticed that Philip was really weighed down, suffering from anxiety and worry. And so here's what Martin Luther did not say. Philip, just stop. What's wrong with you? Don't be anxious. Martin Luther didn't say that. Jesus never just says that. Because that actually only makes you more anxious. Instead, at the root of anxiety, its anatomy is you. So Martin Luther, knowing that as a good friend, here's what he said to Philip. Let Philip cease to rule the world. You know why you're so anxious, Philip? You want to be in charge. You're trying to be in charge. Let Philip cease to rule the world. Because anxiety comes when we do. Here's the third dimension, and we just practically look at it. So what does Jesus tell us to do when we're so anxious? How does Jesus remove you and I from center place? Here's first. Here's what he commands. Here's what he tells us to do. Look and reason. Look and reason. If Jesus diagnoses that anxiety comes with looking only at potentials, most of which never come true, by the way, not actuals. Okay, let me say that again. If Jesus diagnoses anxiety comes from worrying about tomorrows, all the worst case scenarios of tomorrows, most of which, which don't come true, and they're not actual, actuals, what does Jesus tell us to do instead? What does he tell us to do? He says, look and reason, look and reason. Now, I know some of you, brilliant, gifted, you may do this for a living. You do contingency plans. You do emergency crisis plans. You're doing risk management. Wonderful, wonderful. Do it well. You're doing it for a living. But I want to tell you as your pastor, Jesus tells you this is not the way you should live, though. You may do it for a living, but that's not the way you should live as a Christian believer. Instead, you should look and reason. Look at what? Verse 26, look at the birds. <laughs> Verse 28 and 30, look at the lilies, the flowers, how God clothes the grass of the field with beauty and flowers. And the word for look is it requires deeper thinking and actual reflection. Jesus is saying, in other words, if you're anxious, it's because you're really not looking and reasoning. Let me say that again. Jesus, in other words, is saying, well, if you are anxious, it's because you're not looking. And you're not reflecting. And you're not reasoning on the things that Jesus tells you. Now, at this point, before we move on, do some of you in this room think that when he says, oh, you have little faith, what is faith? What is faith? Do you think faith is closing your eyes, shutting off your brain, and just jumping over the, the abyss? Have you heard that popular expression? It's nowhere from the scriptures. Do you think faith is you don't think? You actually shouldn't be aware of reality? Do you think faith is something where you just kind of muster up and it's the absence of all this kind of reflection or deeper thought? Is this how Jesus talks? No, he never talks this way. So when you're lying in bed, like I do oftentimes, and your heart is raging and emoting about, oh, tomorrow or next week, that is going to be so hard. That's going to be so stressful. 
I so don't look forward to doing that. That might be more disastrous and awful than I can think it to be. When you're lying on your bed and your heart is raging and filled with anxiety, what do you do? What should you do? What does Jesus tell you to do? Do you just listen to your feelings? Do you just put it on autoplay and repeat? Whatever your feelings rage and tell you, you continue to almost rehearse it. You even amplify it. You just free flow. You just let it go. Do you listen to your feelings? Are you led and dictated by what you feel? Jesus instructs us to do something entirely different here. He says, look, 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 and reason. Look and reason what? Here it is. Jesus says, look at the birds, look at the grass, look at the lilies. And how are they doing? Has not God fed and taken care of all of creation for how many years? For how long without fail? Jesus says, instead of just listening to your feelings, you actually should look out and reason. How is God actually caring for all of creation? How is God actually sovereignly ruling and providing and feeding and nourishing all of the things that he made? Birds and even the grass of the field. And then Jesus adds on a line and says, are you not of much more value than they? Much more value than they. You see, rather than listening to an anxious-filled heart, rather than just listening to your anxious-filled feelings, Jesus says, look and consider this, consider that, and reason with yourself. Reason with yourself. In August, we had a staff planning retreat. That's where we map out all of next year. And I gave a little bit of a devotional where I asked this question to all of our pastoral staff. Who is the most important or influential preacher that you've ever heard? Who is the most important preacher that you've ever listened to? Is it so-and-so Piper, so-and-so Keller, so-and-so who's long gone dead? Maybe it could be someone here. Do you know who the most important influential preacher you'll ever listen to? It's you. It's you. Because you are the one you listen to most when you're lying on your bed. The only question is, is are you a good gospel preacher or not to you? Do you take a hold of your heart when it is fuming and raging and emoting with all kinds of anxious thoughts? And are you able to actually take a hold of your heart and argue with it, plead against it, preach to it, persuade, rectify it, rebuke it, correct it, purify Are you able to take a hold of your heart and look at what God is doing to the world and reason and actually apply that to your feeling-ridden heart? This is precisely what Jesus is telling us to do. To look and reason with what we may feel. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 tells us, everything works according to the counsel of his will. Romans 8 verse 28, do you plead and reason with these promises? God works together all things according to his purpose to those who love him. God works all things for good to those who love him and called according to his purpose. There is not a tear that falls. 
There is not a hair on your head that your heavenly father does not know about. And one of my favorite cumulative arguments is Romans chapter 8, verse 32, where Apostle Paul says, He, if God did not spare his own son, Christ Jesus, to be sacrificed for my salvation, if God did not withhold his own one and only son to die so that I might live forever, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? How will God the Father, along with Jesus the Son, giving him up, not give you all the things that you absolutely need to serve him and live the Christian life. Look and reason. Look and reason. Look and reason. Don't just listen and feel. Don't just listen and feel. Don't just let that go on an endless loop. Look and reason. Don't listen and feel. Let me give you a real practical encouragement on this. When I was in the seat of combined depression or anxiety, I thought I could not go on. It was about four or five years ago. He hit the church. I would replay God's promises, God's word. I would pray. I would fast. I would exercise. I saw counselors. I did everything possible that I thought I could do to overcome those sleepless, like insomnia nights. And I would get frustrated. I'd start complaining. Be like, God. I'm doing everything with your word and your prayer. And why is this anxiety not coming off of my chest? You know, I'll tell you, many, many years removed. It's like a bath. If you soak in that water, not just once, not twice. We're talking soak it, soak it. Do it regularly, over and over. Pray the word of God aloud. Memorize it. You see, if you were more OCD about the scriptures of God and less OCD about something else, I dare you to check what would happen to you in years. And as you soak in his word and his spirit, here's what's going to begin to happen, because it did happen with me. And it's happening in stories of grace throughout our church. Worry will lose its death grip. Anxiety will diminish. You actually get to bed better and longer. Or else... Jesus is just bluffing. Look in reason, my friends. And when the words of God start to replace the usual nonsense and the usual suspects that come up from your heart, anxiety will start to fade away. Here's the second last step. How does Jesus remove you from the center and how does Jesus remove anxiety? You have to follow through. Oh, you do have to follow through. This is maybe the most crucial step. That just means you have to obey. You've got to do what Jesus told you to do. It's one thing to look and reason with this word, but you actually got to do what he told you to do. That's the telltale sign that Jesus has removed you from the center. Will you listen and do what Jesus tells you more than what you think is best? Charles Blondin in 1859 was the first person to try to walk across a tightrope about a quarter mile above the Niagara Falls. His name was Blondin because he had blonde hair. And he would go on to become the most famous tightrope walker in history. 1859 of June, he crossed the Niagara Falls. It is reported that he did that 300 times in his lifetime. He got so good at it, he was such a professional at it, 
He did it in a sack one time. He did it on stilts. He did it on a bike. He did it in the dark. Once it is reported he carried a stove and cooked an omelet. On one occasion, a large crowd gathered to cheer on with oohs and ahs and amazement and wonder. And upon reaching the other side of the Niagara Falls, the crowd's applause, applause just roared and it sounded louder than even the roar of the Niagara Falls. Blondin suddenly stopped and addressed the entire audience. Do you believe I can carry a person across in this wheelbarrow? The crowd enthusiastically cheered. Yes, 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 Blondin. You are the greatest tightrope walker in the world. You can do anything. Blondin came back and said, okay, who will get in the wheelbarrow? Okay, so who wants to get in first? And not one person did. Not one person did. You see, my friend, do you, do you, do you believe in Jesus enough that you follow through and obey him at his word? That he has really, really taken control? And you trust him enough that he at the controls is far better than you? Have you jumped in? Have you ever? Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, follow through, and all these things will be added to you. That's a promise. From the Lord who resurrected from death. From the Lord who gave up his life in blood for you. From the Lord who created the whole universe and is coming back to recreate it, make it perfectly right. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all, all, all potentials, all contingents, all provisions will be added unto you. Do you do what he tells you? Just in this sermon, before he gets to this part in chapter 6, he talks about anger. What do you do with your anger? We heard that from Pastor Jimmy. In another part of this famous sermon, he says, lust, lust, lust. You don't have to actually commit adultery, but you can commit adultery in your heart. What are you doing with lust? What are you doing with lust? What are you doing with your thought life? What are you doing with what you're watching? What are you doing with self-control? Really, what are you doing with that? Do you take him at his word? Jesus goes on to preach, what do you do with retaliation? When someone hurt you, when someone offended you, when someone was evil towards you, do you take retaliation into your own hands? It's all in the same sermon. What about keeping your promises? Are you true to your word? When you say yes, is it yes? Do you follow through? How about the poor and the needy? Are you hoarding your wealth or are you generous in sharing your wealth? And right before our passage, he talks about store up your treasures in heaven don't store up your treasures on material wealth or comfort or income here because it'll all rot anyways and robbers can steal it and you can't take any of it with you to the other side of eternity. If you obey and follow through at Jesus' word, just even in this sermon, what do you think Jesus is going to do with your anxiety? Because that's the way that Jesus is removing you from the center of life. You know, this afternoon, we're going to talk about Sunday worship, Sabbath. Do you keep a Sabbath, a Sabbath? Do you actually worship and rest in God on a regular rhythmic basis, or do you constantly overwork and overstress? And as we heard today, 
Are you on a mission, his mission, with all that you do for one more for the gospel? Are you actively, is his priorities your priorities? Is his passions really your passions? Jesus promises, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. I close with Psalm chapter 3, one of my favorite psalms. It's become one of my favorite psalms. Because in verse 5, David says, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. It was in those years I was just longing for good deep sleep. I said, how did David sleep like this? Do you know the context of Psalm chapter 3? He had literal enemies surrounding him who wanted to kill him. They were hunting him down to death. And then David says, oh, but that night I slept pretty well. Because the Lord sustained me. Question, how did he fall asleep? He tells you in Psalm 3, verse 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. How did David fall asleep? How do you and I really fall asleep? How do you get REM for your soul? It all depends who's your glory. Who's at center? Is Jesus really your glory? Is he really your glory? Is the creator and sustainer of the universe, is the one who's full and sufficient saving work for your sin, is the one who promised he's going to come back and make everything right, is he really at the center place? Because if he is, you can really get good sleep. And make no mistake, as long as he's not there and you're restless and still filled with anxiety, make no mistake, what you're doing is you're still saying that you're competent enough to run your own life. When Jesus comes around in Matthew chapter 11 says, take my yoke upon you, my full control, my centrality, let me take over, what does he say? And you shall find rest for your souls. You shall find rest for your souls. My friends, this is why you don't have to be anxious. This is why you don't have to fret. This is why you don't have to panic. This is why you don't have to fear. Jesus came to remove you and take over the job description that only he can carry out well. Let him do it. Trust him to do it. Follow through. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that this day of worship, as we hear from your word and by your spirit, God, that you would do a deep, powerful work surgically, to remove us from being the center of life. God, help us to look and reason, not just listen and be led by our feelings. And, O oh Lord, as you show us the reality of who you are and what you've done, O oh God, move us, give us grace, that we will obey and trust you at your word. Help us, O oh Lord, that we will obey you and take you at your word and follow you.